Welcome back to Three Sports Rankers. This is the sports podcast where two panellists go head-to-head to build the ultimate sporting podcast in a range of topics. I'm Callum, and this is Season 3, Episode 5, going head-to-head this week. Rob Schofield and Sam Barker on a topic which was chosen by Rob as part of our sort of home-and-away series of, uh, of podcasts. Rob, it's uh, Mike Ashley's worst decisions as Newcastle United owner this week, a niche choice from you. Talk us through the uh, talk us through the decision behind this one. So the Newcastle United takeover is dragging on. Uh, it could be completed. It could collapse any day now. But either way, the prospect of Mike Ashley finally uh, releasing his grip on Newcastle United after too long in charge is potentially nearing uh, an end. So. I thought, what better chance to look back on some of his worst decisions? And this is probably a topic which, similarly, when you were talking about last week, Callum wanted to do something for a little little while. I think we floated the idea of poor club ownership and uh, you know bizarre decision making from owners. I thought, why not just double down and do a Mike Ashley special? So, I mean, this is a man that would give a migraine a headache. So there's plenty to go at here. I like about the way you started that, Rob. It's basically, it makes this episode, it can work for years to come because the idea of Mike Ashley being on the verge of selling the club is definitely something that will probably be <laughs> for the next two to three years. I really did try to approach this from, I didn't try to get, to, to, to pretend to be a Newcastle fan and do it that way. I really did look, as a sort of neutral football fan, what has made Newcastle United look at, like the biggest joke during the Mike Ashley era. Um, and actually, I found that the three moments that I jotted down from my own memory at the start ended up being the three I picked after I'd done my research, because those were just the three that <laughs> me. And so uh, ended up probably being, well, what I think the, the, the biggest three are. So an, in- an interesting topic coming up uh, between Rob and Sam. As Rob mm-hmm. mentioned, we have floated the idea of bad football ownership before, because all three of us pretty well placed. So... Uh, I'm in a pretty good position to judge what a bad football uh, club decision is. Uh, obviously, being a West Ham fan myself, I've known pretty poor club management over the last, well, certainly over the last five years, um, but over a little bit longer as well, it's fair to say. Rob is uh, obviously the resident Newcastle fan, so he has the slight advantage, you could say, in this topic. But we're going to get into it. The series scores as it stands. Rob has 12 points. I'm on seven and Sam comes into today on 10 points, just two behind Rob. So uh, interesting standings as we come into season three, episode five and the worst Newcastle United decisions with Mike Ashley at the helm. Rob, it's your topic. So we're going to throw it to you first. What is your bronze medal? It was infamous. It was embarrassing. It was bringing back Joe Kinnear as director of football in uh, <laughs> June 2013. Now, Joe Kinnear's first stint at St James's Park was controversial, but uh, I think anyone could be fully prepared for his triumphant return uh, in the boardroom. The infamous talk sport interview, do we remember this? Um, he opened Chosen up by saying he'd been talking to Newcastle for three weeks up until this decision. And then just a minute later on the interview, um, 
says that the conversation started 10 days ago. So we're already on sketchy ground here. Um, he kept ref- referring to um, managing director Derek Lambias as Derek Lambesi. That was uh, a strong start. He then goes on to defend his previous record as Newcastle manager, claiming when when I had my heart attack, this is when he had to step down his first time round, we were 12th, we were actually 15th. He says we were flying we were without a win in six games. Um, <laughs> now, when I was kind of looking back on this, I remember, God, this really, this is arguably worse than I remember it. And I remember it being pretty bad. He goes through on a bit of a charm offensive then, kind of devoid of any facts or you know, just reeling off fictitious elements of his CV. So we've got signing Dean Holdsworth for £50,000. He actually signed him for £650,000. And then he uh, went on to brag about selling Robbie Earl for X, Y and Z. Well, Robbie Earl actually retired after Kinnear left Wimbledon. Um, he, he talked about a crowning glory of never being sacked, apart from the fact that Luton sacked him in 2003. He revealed his purchase of, of Tim Krull being one of the best pieces of uh, transfer business he'd ever done. Actually, Graham Souness brought in Tim Krull after uh, Joe Kinnear left. He proudly recalled having made 400 appearances for Tottenham. Went back and checked that. 258 uh, caps for Spurs. Um, and then the cringiest of all cringy moments, the, the bit that made all Newcastle fans just shrivel up and think, why is this man back in our football club? He goes on to talk about how he doesn't have an ego whatsoever and then spoke up the talents of Hatem Benafri, Johan Kebab, uh, Papis Sissi. And then uh, he finished about bragging about how he can pick up the phone to any manager in the world, in any division in the world, uh, saying how he'd spent his entire career chatting to Sir Alex Ferguson, quote, week in, week out. Uh, Kinnear was gone eight months later. Uh, the fruits of his labour, the signing of Oliver Kemen for £350,000, who left in 2015 without making a single appearance in his two transfer windows in total. That was it. One player in, uh, in the reserve team, who then left two years later. Um, somehow we finished a, an unsurprisingly and unglamorous un, uh, 10th place. Um, but JFK, Joe, you know the rest, Kinnear, uh, his time at Newcastle United comes in at, at bronze for Mike Ashley's third worst decision he's made as Newcastle United owner. I've got to say, Rob, Joe Kinnear was the first thing that came to my mind when you mentioned this topic. So I'm glad that he's come up in this. Uh, I'm glad that he's come up in this episode. He the the Johan Kebab interview is absolutely it's cult. It's so good. I'm not surprised he's come up, but I. What I am surprised at is that there's two worse decisions than that. One thing I will say in Jokinir's fight in Jokinir's corner is that he only brought Something in one no one failed player. He only brought in one failed player, which is far fewer failed players than Newcastle have had since Oliver Kemen. Uh, it's, so... yeah, it's, it's not about that, though. It's it, it kind of, as you'll probably notice with the way I've kind of laid out my answer his actual impact at the club was next to nothing. And that kind of is just to be expected, but it's the embarrassment. It's the absolute ridicule. The the fact that we just look like such a joke when he came in, it was like conscious antagonizing of the fans of which Mike Ashley pretty much admitted to over the years. It's the kind of decision where he brings in a man who's just held in utter contempt by the Newcastle fans just for the sake of it. 
I'll tell you what, on. Callum, if you if you like the fact that Joe Kinnear was included but didn't believe he was high enough, you'll like the fact that my silver choice, uh, I've just I've just entitled it the entire concept of Joe Kinnear. <laughs> because I mean, I mean, you've just, you've just touched on it, him coming back as director of football. Let's not forget that the first time he was appointed was after Kevin Keegan was effectively forced out of the club, um, and the the choice to replace him was a man who hadn't been in management for four years, had never done anything in his managerial career of any note, which was yeah, Joe Kinnear. Um the names you listed that he mispronounced in the interview weren't even all the names. He also had Shola Amanobi, um, Jonas Gomez. Oh, yeah. And you said he, he called Ben Ben Arthur Ben Afra. He also called him Ben Afri as well. He mispronounced his name twice yeah. in different ways in the same interview. Swore 52 times in a five-minute rant at the Daily Mirror. That was pretty embarrassing as well. The season he was manager, he basically got Newcastle relegated, didn't he? On, on his own, four wins in 18 league games. That was all he had in his time there. I, I was the same as you, Callum. When you said this topic, Rob, he was the first thing, the first name that came into my head. I went, there's no way Joke Kinnear is not going to make my list somewhere. Um, and yeah, he actually was slightly higher up. He, he, was, he ended up landing in the, in the silver spot for me. Right, Sam, so... Joe Kinnear is your silver uh, medal, or more more accurately, the concept of Joe Kinnear is your silver medal. Concept so we'll just uh, we'll just circle back for a second. Uh, can you tell us what your bronze medalist is going up against Rob's choice of Joe Kinnear? Giving Alan Pardew an eight-year contract, obviously. And it's one of those ones where it almost doesn't need any explanation. You can almost just say, giving Alan Pardew an eight-year contract there's my mic drop and I'm out. Like, what a... I'm very nearly swore there. It was pretty easy to laugh at it at the time, but there obviously was... The <laughs> I was going to say. There obviously was the fact that he had just won manager of the year, the Premier League manager of the year, and he had got Newcastle into Europe, and he had had one good season in his managerial career. Um, but when in football do you ever, like, ever hear of a manager, especially a a pretty mediocre manager with one good season under his belt, getting an eight-year contract. It is. It was ludicrous. He wasn't even two years into a five-and-a-half-year contract. At <laughs> yeah, I know. And he was given an eight-year contract. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, two years later, he lost 15 of his last 21 matches and was sacked. Well, he wasn't sacked, he just left. Oh, but, well, yeah. He, yeah, well, I mean, that's even more embarrassing, weirdly. That he, he, he left on his own. This, this is what this contract did. It allowed Pardew to leave on his own terms theory, after a run like that. His contract ran out, like, last month. Yeah, I know. This all happened in the early 20... Like, this was 2012 he was given the contract extension, and 2014 he, uh, he left. This was my favourite thing about Alan Pardew at Newcastle, Um Weirdly, it was just before he actually joined, after Chris Hewton was dismissed, Sky Sports ran a poll for Newcastle fans about who they thought should replace him. Uh, Pardew got 5.5% of the vote, which was one of the lowest of any of the managers on the list, was promptly hired with a five-and-a-half-year contract, and then under two years in, given an eight-year contract extension. Like, I just can't believe the ridiculousness of that. It's just un unheard of. What have you yeah. ever heard? So thinking back at this, I was trying to, you know, we, we were all so happy with the fifth place finish, but in the same way, the stars aligned and absolutely everything went for us that season. Um, 
Mike Ashley thought he'd cracked football. He just thought he'd <laughs> cracked football. And it was quite telling that off the back of that fifth season, we only brought in Vernon and Anita for six and a half million from Ajax. Didn't strengthen from a position of strength. Um, and when you look at the statement, I think it, it, it tells you everything. Um, I came across it uh, in my research for this. If you look at clubs like Manchester United and Arsenal, the statement reads, Sir Alex Ferguson, Arsene Wenger has shown stability, gives you the best platform to achieve success and the model we wish to emulate here at Newcastle. So Pardew, let's, let's not forget, this is not just Pardew. This is all his backroom staff, eight-year contracts. Can we just take a moment to... Imagine Alan Pardew is a man who who enjoys the frivolities of football. Can we can we just take a moment just to imagine the bender he would have gone on after signing an eight year contract, <laughs> knowing that he was financially secure for the rest of his life, but also the complacency that set in at the club for the next three years after that was astounding. Having manager a manager in the backroom team on that long a contract. We slumped to 16th. Then there was that kind of 10th middling season when we basically didn't win a game for the last 15 games of the season and just literally moved one place. 15th and 18th, we got relegated after that. He was, Pardew came across as so untouchable. And, you know, this is a man who, after signing his contract, went on to kind of be defined in his tenure by headbutting David Myler and calling Manuel Pellegrini an old C word. Um, and also having a terrible record against Sunderland. It's why it's my silver choice, Pardew's eight-year contract. There we go. There's a nice one for you, Callum. As you mentioned, he left in 2014 with three quarters of his contract still to run. The club was so strapped for cash, they relied on John Carver. We kind of just then went for the cheapest of cheap options in Steve McLaren, got us relegated despite Rafa coming in. And I just want to finish this in terms of why I've put it higher than Joe Kinnear, right? To put this into context, when Jurgen Klopp led Liverpool to the Champions League final and agonisingly lost to Real Madrid, he was awarded a five-year deal. Alan Pardew finishes fifth with Newcastle and gets an eight-year contract. Baffling. The the, the only thing I'd I'd say, yeah, to, to... To just uh, to flip it the other way, is at, at least at least with the Pardew contract extension, obviously eight years is at least six years too long. <laughs> at least at least six years too long. For, for doing it. He there had been a big jump in Newcastle's form. They they had clearly got better after, uh, in the season preceding the decision. There was at least a, a tiny amount of logic behind it. Joe Kinnear. No logic either time. Like the first time there was no logic. The second time just flat out insulting to the fans. Yeah. I mean, I would completely agree with you in terms of um, logic behind the decision making. But the reason I put uh, Pardew's eight-year contract above Kinnear in the pecking order is because of the impact it had on the club. Like Joe Kinnear was made us a laughing stock even more of a laughing stock than we were already. But Alan Pardew's eight-year contract, like the club was still feeling the effects of that today. And as a result, like you can't, I don't think you can compare the two in terms of the severity of the impact that it had on on the club. I'll tell you what, Rob, if, if we both list the same thing for gold here, that effectively ends Callum's season, sure. <laughs> <laughs> 
Should we so just quickly now, confer? Should we just get our yeah. phones and just decide? Yeah, yeah, yeah. hang on, hang on. What, so, what, no, what I'm, what I'm going to do is, Sam, I'm going to ask you first what your gold, um, what your gold choice is, and then Rob, I just want you to say yes or no as to whether yours is the same. Okay, Sam, what is your gold choice for Mike Ashley's worst decision as Newcastle United owner? It's very exciting. Um, renaming St James's Park. No. No. Okay. There we go. Okay. Well, that that makes me happy on two levels then, because I don't have to. I, I've at least got a decision to make, and also, I probably will still come third in this series, but there's a chance. Uh, so, <laughs> Sam, explain your reasoning for uh, Mike Ashley renaming St James's Park to the Sports Direct Arena as your gold choice. Oh, it just makes me. Oh no. Yeah, that is that reaction right there. The mention of that name. No, no further questions, Your Honour. Yeah. When, like I said, I said at the very start, there are three things I sort of wrote down that I just remember from an outsider's perspective, thinking that's so embarrassing, and those were the three I ended up coming back to. And there was something about renaming the stadium, at least with the other two. As an outsider, I could kind of laugh. like it was funny, like I could laugh. There was something about the renaming of the stadium where I, I genuinely. I could. I just felt so sorry for Newcastle fans because it, from a, it, it just showed a, more of a lack of respect for the club's heritage, for the club's history, for the fan base, for the culture than I think any other decision to take St James's Park, which, you know, is is a is a, is one of the most famous football venues in the UK. I think is is widely considered one of the best football venues in the UK. And to just sort of desecrate it by slapping the branding all in lowercase letters of your own company, a single space between any word and plaster it along the side of the stadium, I just thought was just shambolic, like shameless. And I thought it was just unforgivable and a just total, total disgrace. He may as well have just put like a 50-foot statue of himself fondling himself outside the stadium like honestly it was the big ego <laughs> in the world and i just it, it actually the it, other thing one, is this one is one of the three that just didn't make me laugh it just made me angry yeah and what we mustn't forget here is this isn't this isn't the emirates or the etihad this isn't some glamorous airline this is some budget sportswear brand that when they deliver you an overly priced item with ridiculous delivery costs, they toss in an obnoxiously giant mug. So was there, am I right in thinking that Wonga then purchased the stadium rights the next year and the fans were basically ready to torch the place at that stage if it became the Wonga Stadium? To be fair, because that um, sponsorship deal was so controversial with the payday loans, Wonga renamed the Sports Direct Arena St James's Park. Yeah. So we have to we have to in an attempt to like curry favour longer at this point. Um, yeah, so it's a ridiculous decision. It came in very close to it. Kind of floated in and out of my podium. I was like, where do I put it? Where do I put it? But the reason I missed it is because no one called it the Sports Direct Arena anyway. So they renamed it. Yes, everyone called it St James's Park. Broadcasters, pundits, coverage, fa- you know, fans, especially you know, no one called it the Sports Direct Arena. It was just a. It was a decision that made me extremely angry, but I could I could essentially just palm off and say that that didn't happen. And it made you, the thing is, it made you so angry as as a, as a Newcastle fan base, you had to literally ignore the fact that it was happening. 
Well, exactly. But just completely Welcome to ownership out. under Mike Ashley. <laughs> so go on then, Rob. What's what's uh, what what was your choice for for gold then? I was convinced that you were going to have this, especially as a neutral. It's letting Rafa go. It's hard enough to find a manager who wants to work under Mike Ashley, but to find a former Champions League, Europa League winner who voluntarily stays at the club after relegation, who's adored in the northeast, an icon of the Premier League, a man working miracles with the state of the squad he was given. He stood up to the owner in the end and Mike Ashley let him go. And I suppose what I want to make clear is that I'm a fan of Steve Bruce. You know, I will defend him. I... I'm happy with Newcastle under Steve Bruce and where we're going. It's a, it's about the best we could ask for after losing Rafa. But at the time, at that moment, it felt like peak Mike Ashley. And I think it tells you a lot that for all the decisions that were made and for everything that happened under Ashley, this was the sticking point and our attendances this season plummeted. Empty seats at the beginning of the season led to the club actually giving away 10,000 season tickets, half season tickets in January, which is, um, I can't believe that didn't get more press for a club to give away 10,000 half season tickets. And now they can't get anyone in the stadium. It's a bit cruel, isn't it? Um, Newcastle under Benitez at the end were pretty turgid. We were defensively orientated. It was starting to become a bit of a strain on the players. And you know, I suppose we are benefiting from that now, I suppose, with the players like, you know, Shelby and, and Lascelles growing increasingly frustrated, wanting to play more expansively. They're enjoying that. They really, really are. And, you know, I was fortunate to be at St. James the other day to produce one of our commentaries there. And I spoke to Shelby and he said that it was one of the most exciting times he's had at the club at the moment, which from a player's point of view, I kind of get where he's coming from. But at that point, when you've got Benitez in charge and all he wants to do is spend money that is being readily available to him in the way that he wants because he's completely and utterly proved his worth at the club and is his career in total. You know, the safest of safe pair of hands you could ask for at a powder keg of a club like ours. That is arguably the most important thing. When when you're under a, a tyrannical owner who will make decisions like bringing back Joe Kinnear and renaming St. James's Park, and giving Alan Pardew an eight-year contract. You know, what you really want is a safe pair of hands. And the fact that Benitez brought ambition as well, respect and class and drive, he understood the fans, which was so which we haven't had since the Bobby. And he understood football and he understood the business of football. He we were so lucky to have him, and it was such an opportunity missed. And I just find it baffling that, that Rafa Benitez works on a shoestring, making £20 million profit coming up from the championship. And Steve Bruce, God love him. And, you know, I think he's the best we could ask for at that state in time, at that place in time. And um, having met him the other day, I, I, you know, I'm even more fond of him than I was. For him to be able to spend £40 million on a striker and Rafa Benitez not be able to spend a penny just makes me think what on earth was going on and... Just to finish it all off, the the lack of class in his departure, it could have just had could have been a clean break, but no, they had to stick the needle in. And Lee Charmley wrote uh, in the official match program how Benitez's decision to go to China um, showed that it was all about the money, and he was only interested in the money. Benitez and and Rafa replied in an interview with the Athletic saying, if it was all about the money, he could have gone a lot lot earlier. But he loved that club and he stayed with us uh, through thick and thin and. 
I think it's mind blowing that we we got him to begin with. But the fact that we hand Pardew an eight year contract and let Rafa Benitez go, worst decision Mike Ashley's ever made. So, so I've kind of got two reasons why I, I don't, what, why I didn't put it in the top three, and why I don't actually think it belongs in the top three. Um, the, the first one, I don't know what Callum will think about this. I have a feeling you might agree with me. There really was, from the moment Rafa joined Newcastle, there was a feeling of inevitability of just, well, this isn't going to last, is it? Rafa Benitez under my cash at Newcastle, there's, this will obviously end in tears. I really, I was surprised it didn't end earlier than it did. Uh, yeah. And, and, and the second point, which you actually, which I didn't really know, but you actually raised in um, your argument there, Rob, is you say, well, actually, towards the end, we're playing pretty turgid stuff under Rafa. And we're now doing better under Steve Bruce and, and John Joe Shelby says it's the most exciting time. Is there a case to be made that actually this is just done on name value and perhaps it was strangely, and, and don't take this as me crediting Mike Ashley with anything, but perhaps it was the right decision? If, okay. If, if a year well, later... Well, let's, let's not go that. I'd completely... Uh, that's what I said. I don't want to give Mike actually any credit. That is not at all what this episode well, is about. I just think what in terms of Rafa leaving, the inevitability thing is is what pulled it out because it wasn't really a shock. The other three things were all from so left field. They were such sort of a like, this is a shock. This is ridiculous. What is happening? Rafa leaving. I think the, the entire football world just went, yeah, we we understand that. Well, we, at, we at that point, yeah, because the last few months were spent you know, him being very coy on his future and, and we kind of slowly were coming to terms with the fact that it was going to happen. But actually in terms of it, it still didn't need to happen. In terms of his inevitability about leaving, when he came in and we went down, I would have completely agreed with you. I would have thought, parachute a top-class manager in, try and save the club. It didn't work. He's going to leave. But he stayed because he saw that affinity with the club. You know, he lives in the Northwest with his family. It was the perfect fit. He desperately wanted a Premier League club where he could stay home and... and be with his family he saw the potential in the club and he thought there's a chance here that despite the ridiculous ownership I might be able to make something of Newcastle United and it, and I think what's so galling is that he didn't need much a little bit of investment a little bit of free reign to do what he wanted at the club and we could have been something under Rafa Benitez and you mentioned how you know and I, and I mentioned it there how the club is in an exciting period the fans are enjoying watching Newcastle again I'm enjoying watching us on the pitch. We are a better team to watch on the pitch. But I think we are going to go back to a period now where we were like under Pardew, where we're boom bust, we're inconsistent. We'll win three games in a row and then we'll lose five games in a row. And that is what Rafa saved us from. He was a stabilising force. We weren't great to watch. It wasn't fantastic football. Far, far from it. In fact, at times he probably put shackles on what the players could do. But it's because he knew the limitations of the squad. And I think what was so hard to take was that they let Rafa go and then released the purse strings to let Steve Bruce spend millions and millions of pounds. And that's all that Rafa could, you know, that's all he wanted to do. He probably would have spent less. Not much needed to be done to keep Rafa at the club. He wasn't asking for much, but Mike Ashley just wouldn't budge. And... Time will tell. You know, I almost, this was almost a, do I put it on entirely? Like you said, Sam, like, does it just, it's either top or it's not here at all because it's difficult to know whether it's the right decision because we've not reached hindsight yet. 
the classic um, Rob trope of it's either gold or it's not on the podium. Realise that's one of my parameters. Isn't that it, that is podcast? that is yeah that is your uh, Calum's parameters. That's your thing that happens every week. But I am denied, and I made the decision that it has to go in. It has to go in top because just in terms of at that point in time, it was so easy to keep him, and we let the best manager we've had since Sir Bobby just walk out of the club. Wistful looking back on Rafa Benitez's time at at Newcastle is something that I can really sort of relate to, Rob. You know. He had an affinity with the fans. He understood the club. It it all kind of um, it all kind of smacks of or reminds me of um, when Slaven Bilic was in charge at West Ham. You know the the final season at the Bolin. He understood the he understood the fans and the club, and you know had this fantastic run, brought in some really good players, and we played some fantastic football. And then he wasn't given the ability to strengthen like he wanted to be when we moved to the Olymp- Olympic Stadium and you know, things kind of unraveled for him from there. And it's kind of, it sounds like a similar sort of situation for Rafa, albeit that he sort of wasn't forced, he wasn't sort of kicked out at the first sign of trouble. He stayed and rode out a couple of waves of um, instability or poor form or however you want to call it. But um, it it sounds like it's a, a little bit sort of, wistful looking back and maybe it maybe a touch of recency bias on the on the Rafa Benitez front as well because I think you know like you say Steve Bruce could bring this sort of period of boom or bust to Newcastle but at the same time he could I mean he's got players playing better football Miguel Almiron for example I mean he's started scoring for a start but he's playing much better football than he was under than he was under Rafa and you know Sam Maximan is I mean, the shackles are off. I think if he if he'd come in under Benitez, he probably wouldn't be quite such an exciting. Talent. Well, this is the thing: is is you know, Alison Maxman talks about how much he loves Steve Bruce and how much Steve Bruce loves him, and that's the kind of manager he wants to play for. We don't sign Alison Maxman if Rafa Benitez stays, and I appreciate that is a difficult thing for Newcastle to take at this moment in time because he's a complete fan favorite. Um, but I was just thinking what could have been. And you've got to remember that, you know, for all the talk of how good a Steve, job Steve Bruce is doing, and I think he's doing a fantastic job, he spent the kind of money that was never available to Rafa Benitez. And therefore, I think it's very difficult to compare what the two... I think it's two, It's like a clean cut. I think it's two very, very different periods at the club. Um, and I was really... It's just a unifying force. And I think, like I said, an absolute powder keg of a club like Newcastle needs a unifying force to bring the fans together because otherwise it can get very toxic very quickly and Rafa was that. Okay, right. Well, I think it's decision time. I'll start with the bronze and silver decision and I'm going to side with Rob on this one purely because it's what Rob said. It's sort of the the joke and ear appointment was mostly cosmetic, a trail of ridiculous interviews and rants and you know expletive laden rants against people and but there wasn't a lot to show for his time at the club I mean the the wage bill would probably say otherwise you know he probably chewed into the wage bill a fair bit with what he was taking out of the club but in terms of his actual impact at Newcastle United there was it was negligible for that second spell and then Alan Pardew's eight-year contract like Rob said it sort of financially crippled Newcastle for certainly a big portion of that eight years. And I think part of the um, purse strings being loosened for, for Steve Bruce, it might have something to do with that Alan Pardew contract. I mean, 
He's uh, yeah, probably not wrong, actually. He's, uh, you know, Sam mentioned that his his contract would have run out on the thirtieth of June this year, so he would have, you know, he would have overseen, God knows what, at Newcastle if he'd been able to see out that eight year contract. But I think the the eight year contract given to Alan Pardew had a much bigger impact on the club than the sort of cosmetic value of Joe Kinnear's reign at the top of the club. I really like the idea that there's an alternative timeline out there where like Alan Pardew is still Newcastle boss and he guided them to do a Leicester at some point over the last eight years. The Premier League there's, multiverse. There's an alternative universe yeah. somewhere where Alan Pardew is still Newcastle manager and they've won five Champions Leagues on the bounce. I know you don't want well, to believe that, that, that but that, there is an alternative is universe where that exists. But the gold decision... It's either a 6-0 sweep or a 3 all draw. It's a tough one because, I mean, letting Rafa Benitez walk, not a great move, both in terms of footballing stability. The club was the club was on an upwards tra- trajectory and, you know, has been kind of lucky that they've managed to get Steve Bruce in. He's been getting the best out That's of how I feel. the majority of the squad. Sport, you, know. you know, Rafa Benitez are proven, like you say, he's, he's won European titles. But then renaming St James's Park is just a, a really baffling decision that angered almost everyone in football. Um, it's a really, really tough decision, but I'm going to go with the gold two. It's renaming St James's Park. What? And the reason why, Rob, is you conceded it yourself in your answer that you enjoy watching Newcastle more under Steve Bruce. The players enjoy playing for Newcastle more under Steve Bruce. And I think, yes, Rafa Benitez understood the club and he understood the fans and he sort of maximised the talent that he had available to him and arguably would have done much better had he been able to put his stamp on the club properly. But it's a way that I see a similarity between both of our clubs, Newcastle and West Ham, is that you know, at the end of the day, the the players, the fans want to know that the players are putting everything into it, into each game. It's not a case of wanting to win week in, week out. And I think, you know, your concession that Newcastle fans enjoy watching them more, or you enjoy watching them more under Steve Bruce is a, a, a big part of the fact that, you know, I think... There is a recency bias to the Rafa Benitez answer. I think he's. I think you know bigger and better things could be on the horizon for Newcastle, even if Mike Ashley doesn't sell up to the Saudi um, conglomerate that are coming in for him for for Newcastle. And I think you know the fact that St James's Park being renamed to the Sports Direct Arena at St James's Park and that had repercussions across the footballing world like there, I don't think there was a single fan in the Premier League that was that would have said that that was a good decision I don't think necessarily it financially benefited Newcastle in any way shape or form it was purely a decision to get Mike Ashley's company name out there and for that reason it's a purely selfish decision from from Mike Ashley and that's why it's going top of the uh, top of the podium I mean, there was always a degree of risk uh, when I chose it because I, it was um, it was something that we don't have high, you know, we can't sit back and say this is how it played out. We know it was a terrible decision, you know. 
I just thought in terms of like the severity and what what could have been, and I suppose this is the thing, we'll just have to wait and see what happens now as to whether we look back as it as it being a massive error, or as you say, maybe a releasing of uh, a parting of ways, a conscious uncoupling that uh, could allow Newcastle to, to go on to bigger and better things. If the takeover goes through, it's not surprising, put it this way, that there's rumours not going away that Rafa might be brought back. But I think with what Bruce has done this season, I think that would become increasingly difficult to do. Rob, I think at this stage... Fair enough, three all draw. Uh, Mike Ashley's going to be with you for the next 20 years, and that's just the reality of the situation. <laughs> right, I think at that point, we're going to move on and look ahead to next week's podcast. Uh, the series scores after five episodes... Rob currently on 15, Sam on 13, and me uh, lagging behind somewhat on just five points. I got it wrong earlier when I said seven, I'm just on five points. I nearly nearly called you out for it earlier because I was thinking, I was like, I know this sounds a really cruel thing to say, which is why I didn't say it at the start. I do not. All right, well, I've done the maths now. No need to rub it in. (laughs) No need to rub it in. I've done the maths. I did it properly. I'm only on five. I get it. Um, looking ahead to next week though Sam it's your home topic and you get to take on me and that says to me that there's going to be a racket involved somewhere. So I really toyed with the decision, I mean I had so many racket sport based options um, but I I, I had to toy with the decision of what, and you getting angry does make for a good podcast and and racket sports do frequently do that Um, but decided I do want to I don't, I don't want it to be quite so... I don't want you to literally not enjoy 40 minutes of your life recording a podcast. So what I've gone for <laughs> is another one of my, my favourite sporting moments, but also one I think you will be able to find some moments of joy in as well. Um, and it's Best Moments from London 2012. It's, it's, it's my favourite sporting event of all time. I basically lived on my sofa for three weeks. And I would imagine you also watched and and, uh, took some enjoyment from some of it. And I think in these times as well, with no Tokyo this year, it'd be quite nice to reminisce about really the last time Britain had fun as a nation. (laughs) And on that note, thanks for listening. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. fair enough, I think. Apart from listening to these podcasts, of course. I'm going to enjoy that one. It's going to be, you know, going back and looking at London 2012 and, sort of all the things you've forgotten about London 2012 as well. It's going to be good fun to go and go back and look at that. One confession I will make straight away is that um, I was actually in America for the start of the 2012 Olympics and I completely missed the opening ceremony. I've never oh, so seen the 2012 opening ceremony in full. into the Olympic Stadium as one of your best moments from London 2012. Well, I've just, I've just never seen the opening ceremony in full and people i bleat on about it all the time. Like, oh, wasn't the opening ceremony great? And I'm just like, yeah, fantastic. Loved it. Well well worth a watch before next week then. That's that's all I'd say. It's, uh, it's good television. Um, yeah, I was going to say, Lizzie's hot drop into the uh, middle of the track and field is uh, that's one of the highlights of this century, I think. <laughs> I've, I've never heard it described as Lizzie's hot drop before, but that's one of the best things I've ever heard. <laughs> So Series 3, Episode 6 coming at you next week. Don't forget to like and uh, subscribe and tell all your friends about us. We are on Facebook, we're on Instagram, and we're on Twitter. 
We're also we're available on all your good podcasting sites and apps. So go and get us when you can. And we will see you with best moments from London 2012 next week. <laughs>